Thank you, man, and it's, it's a joy to be here. Uh, remember our time together with a lot of you years ago, and some of you who have joined the assembly in the intervening time, and some of you have even visited us down at our home in Gomez Palacio, and so we've appreciated you for many, many years, and Appreciate your prayers, your support, uh, your encouragement, and, and the visits. Um, it's about time for Howard and Kathy to come back. I think you were the first ones to visit us after we'd been there, I think, just two years. And uh, believe it or not, there are people that still remember that and still remember you and those of you who have visited. So we appreciate you and have done for many, many years. <clears throat> you turn in your Bibles to Colossians, please. I feel somewhat overwhelmed to share with you, and I wish I could do a, a better job because of the theme of Colossians. Uh, Colossians is really lifting up the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what I want to do this morning, but I don't feel capable to portray him as he deserves. So if all I can do is to draw your attention to him and draw your attention to the scriptures, and then later on in your time at home, you can continue in your musings and meditation on some of these passages. They're really wonderful passages. Um, thinking of what Noah had shared this morning and the theme of the Lord's Supper, if we could just look at chapter 3 and verse 1 for a minute, this really isn't what we're going to look at this morning, but uh, I was reminded of this. It says, If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of, that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And there's a phrase, or there are phrases that are repeated over and over again as you go through Colossians, in Christ, through Christ, with Christ. Um, he is the central figure of, of this uh, relatively short letter, and that's really what we want to focus on this morning, is the person of the Lord Jesus. That really ought to be our life. I mean, we have the privilege, um, as you do here, we do in Gomez as well, of every week coming together and remembering our Savior, the Lord Jesus. But our tendency is to focus on what he's done for us, and, and yet he wants us to remember him. Yes, we can't separate who he is to what he has done for us, but yet we, we struggle because we are in the flesh and, and we're still here. We struggle to focus our attention on the person of the Lord Jesus. And that's the invitation here in these verses we just read. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And it's not that we're seeking things, we're, we're seeking him. We want to focus our attention on him. 
And that's really what we want to do this morning. So if you flip back a page or two in your Bibles to chapter 1, that's really going to be the focus of our attention this morning, and we don't have time to, to go through all the details. But again, if I can encourage you to, and myself to be renewed in our, in our desire, in our focus on the person of the Lord Jesus this morning, that's really what we want to do. That's really what they, they preached in the early church when they went out there in the book of Acts. They preached Christ. I mean, yes, they preached the gospel, but they were, they were preaching a person, not a, a religion, not an ideology, uh, not just some new information, uh, but they were preaching a person. They were preaching Christ. In Acts 5, it says, Daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That was their message, a person. And in Paul also, in, in 1 Corinthians, says we preach Christ crucified. You can't separate the things, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians, he says, we do not preach ourselves. We're not trying to attract people to us um, or to get them to, to come to our church. Uh, it says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as, as Lord. That's, that's really the focus of our lives. That's the for, focus of our work. Whether we be here or whether we be in Mexico or any other place in the world, that's really why God has left us here. Is, is to tell other people about, about him, about the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would like to focus just for these few minutes on Christ's um, exalted per person, uh, his preeminence. Uh, eminence is not a, a term that we use very frequently today. I don't know. People have asked us, have you seen the, uh, the death and burial of the Queen of England and then the, the establishment and, and, and coronation of, of her son, uh, now King Charles? Well, they use terms in referencing royalty in different parts of the world. They refer to people like that as your eminence <clears throat> or his eminence. Well, when we're referring to, to the Lord Jesus, we can't use terms that are equated to what we use for people here in this world. No matter how lofty or high their position is in the world or the government, um, we, we refer to the Lord Jesus as preeminent. That means he is above all else. He is above any king or kingdom of this world. And and, and God the Father has presented the Lord Jesus to us. And we're going to look at some of those things here in this passage. Let's begin reading there in, in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Colossians. It says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Well, Christ is, is presented as, as preeminent in, in the gospel. That's what the gospel is about. And, and here, in referring to the believers there in Colossae, Paul is saying 
Well, you heard the gospel. It is a message, and we have to hear it. And, and they believed. It's something not that you just accept as truth, but you believe it, and it becomes ours through faith. And then they, they understood it. There's, there's a lot of things that possibly the day that we believed and trusted the Lord Jesus, there are a lot of things about him that we didn't understand. And we enter into this lifelong journey of, of growing in our knowledge of him and of what he's really accomplished. And that's why it's so wonderful to come together at the Lord's Supper. I mean, it's never boring. And, and it's not that we come to learn something, but we, we come to express these truths that have gripped our lives that we probably didn't understand the day that we were saved. And then they were discipled. I'm going to continue reading in verse 6. Uh, you heard in the word of truth the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bond servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed of us of your love in the Spirit. Well, they heard the gospel, they believed, they, they began this process of understanding who Christ is and what he's done. They were taught, they were discipled, they had Epaphras who would lead them, take their hand and lead them from the day they were born into a, a pathway of growth, a life of growth in their relationship with Christ. But they also, it says there in verse 6, constantly bearing fruit. And faith that doesn't bear fruit, um, faith that other people really can't see the, the work of the Lord Jesus in us is, is really not uh, true faith. There's a lot of people that say they believe. There are a lot of people that have said in the past that they believe, but then they've gone back to their sin, they've gone back to the world, and they leave us with questions. You know, what happened to them? We remember them. We remember what they said. We remember their profession. Well, here Paul is thankful that they are constantly bearing fruit, and that fruit increases. It's growing, and that's the way it ought to be. And so it's something we, we're born in an instant, but then that birth begins a process of growth and, and eventually bearing of fruit. We're, we're thankful that we have our five children, four of them are, are now married, and bearing fruit. They have children. We enjoy our grandchildren. We're, we're now on our 14th. The number 14th hasn't been born yet, but there she is, and we're waiting for her. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. They bore fruit. And then I want to draw your attention to Paul's prayer for this church there in Colossae. Verse 9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And I don't know if you remember, those of you who were here when 
when we left 32 years ago in 1990 to go to Mexico, we asked you to pray, and I read these verses to you. And I said, these are the things that we want you to pray for us. And we've been back several times. We're sad to admit that we haven't been back as often as we probably should. But there have been several times that we've been here, and I've brought you back to this prayer of Paul and said, remember, we asked you to pray for these things because, yeah, we want you to pray that, you know, the Lord will bless us and give us fruit and protect us and all of those things. We, we know you pray for those things, and we appreciate that. But... Paul's prayer was elevated to a different level. Uh, let's read it. He says, I, I do not cease to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It brings us back to Christ. Not to attract people to us, but to attract people to the Lord by the way we live. That was his prayer. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is a life of growth. This is not knowledge filling our head with information. This is knowledge like a husband and wife. You know, some have just gotten married and you're entering into a life of getting to know each other. I know my wife and she knows me a lot more today than we did 48 years ago. And that's the way it ought to be. And as, as knowledge grows, this is personal experiential knowledge in a relationship, love grows. And the more we know the Lord Jesus, the more we love him. That's what we were singing about. Strengthen, verse 11, with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What a prayer. I mean, Paul obviously knew how to pray much greater things than I do usually. And, and we need to sometimes pray what the scripture says. He prayed for spiritual intelligence, <clears throat> knowledge, wisdom, understanding. He prayed for practical obedience in the believers. And he prayed for moral excellence. I didn't know how else to say that, but God's work in us, and Paul was praying for the believers in Colossae, God's work in us has a practical application to daily life. I mean, we live in a, in a world that's really complicated. Uh, things get worse, and, and, and it's, it's difficult to know how to live a life, as it says here, that is worthy of the Lord in today's world, in your work situation, in your school situation, in your neighborhoods. Uh, how do we really live out the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and be a light to those who are around us. That's not easy. And we need God to work in us to use the knowledge, the, the things that we learn from the word, but, but we need to grow in how to live that out, how to morally live in an immoral world. 
And I, I didn't really know how else to say that. But that's, that's really what he's talking about there in verse 11 and 12. Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. A lot of words there that when we think about them, and when we ask God, Lord, show me how to make this a reality in my life in, in the circle where I live. And we all live in different neighborhoods. We all face different situations. Um, and we need God's help to live out what he wants us to live. And then in verse 13, Christ is preeminent in the gospel. That's what we were just looking at. He's what the gospel is. He's what it's all about. But then Christ is preeminent in redemption. Verse 13, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom, again, that phrase, in whom, through whom, it all goes back to Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Well, we were slaves to sin. Howard mentioned that a while ago. We were living in darkness. We were living in bondage to Satan's domain in this world. And when it says that he redeemed us, in whom we've been redeemed, that means we are slaves on the slave block and he bought us and paid the price through his blood and then set us free. So we've been redeemed. We've been freed from that slavery to sin, to the world, to the, to the world's mindset, to the world's way of doing things, to the flesh. We were slaves to the desires of the flesh. And the Lord Jesus paid the price, bought us from the slave market, and then set us free. So we are now free in him. This is not just a ticket to heaven. <laughs> this is a wonderful life, uh, even here. We often wish, we often wonder, why did, why did the Lord Jesus leave me here? Why, why do I have to face all of this stuff? Why do I have to struggle this way? Well, he wants us to be in Christ showing the world what a truly redeemed person is like. So he is to be preeminent even in our redemption. When people come and ask us, what's wrong with you? Or you're different. Tell me what's, what's happened to you. Well, we have, an, we have an answer, and the answer is Christ. I mean, there's no other way to explain it. That's what it means. Now we are free not to live how we want to, but to live how he wants to. And we're in his domain. That's what it says. He's, he's taken us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And then he is pre preeminent in creation. And there's a lot of debate these days. And, and even in Christian circles, and it, it's, it's too bad because 
these verses are so clear. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. Now, I can't get my mind around that first phrase. The image of something invisible. I mean, if it's invisible, that means you can't see it, right? If we look at the air, we can't see the air. We can see the results of the air. We can feel the temperature changes. We can see the clouds. We can see the move, or we can see the, the leaves blowing, or what have you. But air is invisible. Um, now, scientists may say something different. I'm not a scientist. But God is, is invisible. But yet, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's fully God, and he became a man. And we'll look at a little bit more of that in a minute. But it says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him, again, this is the Lord Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Again, he is preeminent. He was the one who created, but he owns it all. It's his. Created by him and for him. And he, this is an amazing verse to me, verse 17. He is before all things, I mean, he is the eternal God. And in him, all things hold together. Uh, no, I could probably explain a whole lot more about this than I can, but scientists are still trying to figure what makes this universe tick. What holds it together? Why doesn't it just fly apart? Why don't the atoms and everything just boom? And, and, and why do the planets, why are the stars, why the constellations, why is everything in, in order? And why doesn't it just fall apart? Who's holding all this together? Well, here it says who it is. Now, they don't think who, they ask what. What force is, is behind all of this? Well, it says, in him all things hold together. But the amazing thing to me is I remember, and you do too, reading in your Bible of the day the Lord Jesus entered into earth. And he was born of a virgin. And we enjoy babies. You do too. We enjoy our grandbabies more than we, because uh, we don't feel the same responsibility for them as we did our own babies. But, but we enjoy holding them. But a newborn baby, when you pick that little thing up, so tiny, so helpless, so powerless, needs everything, has just taken its first breath, and it's a miracle. Well, I sometimes think back to when the Lord Jesus was born and was in Mary and Joseph's arms. Helpless, needing everything from his mother and his father, earthly father, and weak, And yet, at that moment, in him, all things hold together. That little baby was in control and holding the whole universe together. That just, you know, I, my mind can't, can't uh, grasp those things. 
But that's what comes to my mind when I read this verse. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Preeminent. That means above everything. Well, that's true in creation. That's true in heaven. We read those verses there in, in chapter 3. We, we read those verses a while ago in Revelation. You know, he is on the throne of heaven. But he also has first place right here. And he wants first place right here in my life and in yours, in this meeting, in our home, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, every day. He wants to have preeminence. He wants to have first place. And it's our opportunity to give him that place. I mean, he is above all else. He is preeminent. He is the king of kings. But he wants us to give him that authority in our own personal lives as well. And in the church. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross through him, I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. And this, these are the verses I was saying a minute ago. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. These are amazing verses. And, and there's a, another one. Um, in chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. It's amazing to see those verses put together. The first one says, he is fully God. All of deity is in this person of the Lord Jesus. It was the Father's goodwill for all the fullness to dwell in him. Fully God. But yet the next verse talks about him going to the cross. And the only way he could go to the cross was to become a man. And he was born as a baby. He was born of a virgin. But he went to the cross as a man. A perfect man. One like no other. No sin in him. He had never committed sin. He had never spoken anything wrong. And yet he went to the cross and the scriptures tell us that on that cross he was charged. He was our sin, yours and mine, were placed on him when he went to that cross. And he died fully God, holy God, sinless God, but yet a man with our sin placed on him. There's, there's a couple of more verses. Oh boy. Somebody take the battery out of that clock, please. <clears throat> Chapter 2, <clears throat> in verse 13, it says, When you were dead in your transgressions, the uncircumcision in your flesh, he made you alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees. This was the, the full law of God against you and against me, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's amazing. Innocent. Nobody could find anything wrong with him or any charge against him. He was holy God. He became a man, and as a sinless man, he was charged with our sin. And he died in our place. Verse 21, back in chapter 1, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil, evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's what he came to do. And when it talks about this process of reconciliation, reconciliation is taking two enemies, two people that can't agree and can't get along. And the Lord Jesus was the one who took the hand of a holy God and the hand of a sinful man and reconciled us through himself. That's what that verse says. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. And, and I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to finish the last part of the chapter, but there's there's still some phrases I want to point out to you. He's talking about the church, the work of God in, in gathering these who have been reconciled, these who have been redeemed. And then in, at the end of verse 27, again, speaking of this exalted Christ, of this preeminent Christ, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is not theory. This is real. This is reality. This is because God has declared it. That when we believe and when we are born again, now it's Christ in us. And that's the hope we have of being with him in glory one day. In his work on the cross, the Lord Jesus settled the sin question. We never have to face a holy God and the judge of all heaven and earth to account for our sin because that was paid for completely by the Lord Jesus on the cross. He completely defeated all satanic forces. It talks about that here in, in chapter 1, but then it, it goes into it more in, in chapter 2 if you want to read later. And in fact, Christ Jesus is the only preeminent one. There is none other like him. There is no other equal. He is preeminent. He is the exalted Christ. And all we need in life, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, is Jesus Christ. 
We're thankful for what the Lord has done for us. Years ago, we're thankful for what the Lord has done in many of you. You have met personally this exalted Christ, and you have received, you have believed and received the salvation that he freely gives. But maybe not everybody here has done that. So don't leave the building. Don't leave the opportunity to be able to know this person, the preeminent Lord Jesus Christ, who can save you and give you that hope of glory as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that he is and all that he has done. And we do want to give him glory. We feel so short, so uh, unable to express all that he is. But we do love him. We want to honor him in our lives. We want to live lives that are worthy of him, no matter where we are or what we do. And we pray that that would be true in us. In Jesus' name.